Today, the message is on belonging together. And this is kind of the theme of, of where we are in our 40 Days of Community is that we're better together. God saved us individually, absolutely. God saved us individually, but he put us within the family of God. And we have a purpose for our lives, but we also have a purpose as the body of Christ. We are better together. God is, is drawing us together. And what we're discovering is in our time on Sunday mornings, in our devotional time, in our grace groups, what we're discovering is that God wants us to experience deeper relationships in the body of Christ so that we can be for others a bridge over troubled waters. And you know what? They can be that for us too when we need it. But more than that, so we can celebrate together, we can share one another's joys as well as one another's sorrows that we can support one another, encourage one another, and even hold each other accountable, deepening those relationships within our groups and in the life of the church. But not only that, it's also about deepening our commitment to reaching out to our community. And you know what? We can do that better together as well. It's kind of scary thinking about, hey, what can I do? Here I am flying solo. What can I do to make a difference in the world? But it's a lot easier for us to think about that if we're linking arms with other people and saying, hey, it's not just about me going out there thinking I'm the Lone Ranger. It's about us together going out and making a difference for Jesus Christ, expressing his love in tangible ways in this world in which we live. And it was pretty neat to sit down in, in our group and to begin to talk about ideas and to talk about passions and where people said, hey, this is an area where we could serve. Now, I've got to tell you, uh, when the, you know, we're still trying to nail down the final touches on what we're trying to do, but it's going to be work. It's not like showing up and doing an ice cream social for your group. It's going to be work. It's going to require some sweat equity. It's going to require some commitment. And there's part of me that's saying, I can think of something else to do on Saturday. But there's another part of me that is so looking forward to, number one, meeting a real legitimate need in our community. And number two, doing it with my brothers, doing it with my grace group. I think that'll be exciting. And yeah, it'll be tiring. And I may not know half of what I'm supposed to do, but... But together, we'll get it done. And just as God was glorified as this little boy, Vijay, was found, God will also be glorified as we are going out and connecting and serving together and showing the love of Christ, the love that he has for the people that we're serving, but also the love that he's planting in our hearts for one another. For we are the body of Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. It says that just as, as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we belong to God, but we also belong together. Now think about this for a moment. How would our lives and our church and our community be different if we really pursued with all our hearts the unity that Jesus prayed for and that God wants us to have in the body. That we really were living that out daily in front of a world that needs to know the truth. How much more ministry could we do if we took the unity of the body of Christ seriously? How many more people would not only hear the good news, but how many more people would be convinced 
that it really was good news as they saw it lived out in our personal lives and as we related to other members of the body of Christ. If we can somehow come to understand, and it will only happen as the Holy Spirit enlightens us, but if we can come to understand the power of coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ, and we can put that into practice, then we will be able to sing with integrity, greater things are yet to come, greater things are still to be done in this city. Now the last thing that Satan wants to see, the last thing that Satan wants to see is God's people coming together, unified under Jesus Christ, committed to kingdom work. That's the last thing he wants to see. And so I can guarantee you that as we move forward, not only during this 40 days, but beyond it, as we move forward, Satan's got a tackle box, a tackle box, a a toolbox. (laughs) I got to get out of here and go fishing. (laughs) Satan's got a toolbox filled with monkey wrenches. He's just ready to throw into the works. Satan is ready to get us off track Satan is ready to get us self-focused. He is ready and willing and able to try to derail everything that we are committing to do to derail our unity, to derail our service, to derail everything. And so this morning as we think about belonging together, I want us to look at these monkey wrenches that Satan wants to throw into the works, but I also want us to see God's answer So that when Satan is trying to destroy relationships, we can see God continue to build relationships. And so let's start with monkey wrench number one, which is selfishness. And we can say off the bat that selfishness destroys relationships. Here's what the Bible says in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, your desires that battle within you. Now, James isn't telling us anything that we don't already know. He is verifying it for us. The root of most of our arguments and most of the the difficulties that we have with other people are rooted firmly in selfishness, putting myself at the center of the known universe. Everything ought to revolve around me. Now, I may not always act in selfish ways. There are times that I do things that are absolutely giving, selfless. But if you're anything like me, there are times when it's all about you. That you do put yourself at the center of the universe. Now, why, are we, why, why do we become selfish? Why do we tend to act in selfish ways? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons. There are probably more, but I'm going to give you two reasons. First of all is this. Selfishness is human nature. I didn't hear any parents say amen. Um, we know this. Look at your kids. It is a matter of self-preservation for them, but children are the most selfish It's all about them. It's all got to come their way and on their schedule. Sadly, many people never grow out of it. 
they still see themselves as the center of the universe and that everything ought to revolve around them. It's just natural. It's normal to put yourself there. It's survival of the fittest. The second reason is this, that our culture encourages selfishness. Now let me look at one little segment, and that is how advertisers target us. Because if you analyze commercials, it can tell you a lot about what advertisers think about what we want and what our attitudes are. And let's just look at one. And that would be the global conglomerate McDonald's. I had a chance to go back and look at uh, their list of of themes for years or periods of time. And I want to share some of those with you that McDonald's came up with. Now, you tell me if McDonald's has gotten it figured out. 1971, they originated the phrase, you deserve a break today. You deserve it. You've worked hard. People have been treating you like dirt. You deserve a greasy hamburger. French fries loaded with saturated fat and a milkshake. You deserve this heart attack in a Happy Meal box. You deserve it. In 1975, they changed it to, we do it all for you. In 1976, evidently that wasn't working. They weren't emphasizing it quite enough. So in 76, they changed it to, you, you're the one. I mean, they're nailing it. Now, in 81, they went back to, you deserve a break today. In 92, they went to, what you want is what you get at McDonald's today. And then in 1995, because it had worked so well twice before, they went to, have you had your break today? Now, listen, I am not saying that the McDonald's executives and advertisers are pawns of Satan meant to unravel the social fabric of America. What I am saying is that they understand how to tap into what our natural tendencies are. They know that by saying that you deserve a break today, that it's all about you, that it's going to strike a chord in us, that they are putting us at the center of the universe, and we kind of like that, until we show up and recognize that we aren't, in fact, the center of the universe that that person behind the counter thinks that they're the center of the universe. But that's another story. The reality is this. If we live selfish and self-centered lives, then we will end up with broken and battered relationships in our families and in the church. If we allow this monkey wrench of Satan, of selfishness, to stay in our lives then it'll mess up and destroy our relationships. So if selfishness is destructive in our relationships, what is God's answer to build our relationships up? Well, let's just change a few letters and turn selfishness into selflessness. Selflessness builds up relationships. 
The Bible says that each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not saying we shouldn't care about ourselves. It's not saying we shouldn't get up and bathe and dress and eat and and take care of ourselves and our families. But it's saying, listen, not only look out for yourself, but also look out for the needs of others. That's what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. This is totally contrary to human nature. This is contrary to our natural inclinations. And so immediately after this verse, in verse 5, Paul writes this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. After telling us that we're not only to look after our own interests, but also the interest of others, then Paul says, I know that it's not natural. And so what I'm telling you is that the attitude that you need to have is not a human attitude at all, but the attitude of Jesus Christ in you. Selfishness is natural. Selflessness is supernatural. It is something that grows from a relationship, a walking with Jesus every day. It's something that grows as the Holy Spirit begins to do His work in our lives and begins to fill us up with an attitude that begins to put others ahead of ourselves. Yesterday afternoon, I had a pre-marriage counseling session. And one of the things I try to help them to understand is that when you enter into a marriage relationship, If you enter in it with a selfish attitude that you are here to serve me, then you are setting yourself up for utter disaster. But if you enter the relationship saying that God has put you in my life and me in your life so that we can love and serve one another, then you're setting yourself up. Not for a lifetime without problems but for a lifetime of growing love and moments of sheer joy in the midst of everything that you have in your marriage. Selflessness builds up relationships, whereas selfishness tears them down. But it's something that is done spiritually in us and through us. As evidence of that, in, uh, in, as Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he said, so I say, live by the Spirit. That is, live keeping in step with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's not about having a list of rules that you're following that teach you how to be selfless. It is about walking in step with the Holy Spirit of God, reading God's Word and asking the Holy Spirit to to enlighten you and to illumine His Word so that you can receive it and understand it and apply it. Walking with Him, being cognizant of the presence of God with you each day and relying on His presence and His power in your life to change you from being selfish to selfless. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in you. So, if you're convinced of it, how does it look when it comes to belonging together in your group? How does that play itself out, work itself out in the life of your group? How do we show selflessness within the group? Let me suggest some ways. This certainly is not exhaustive. But first is to serve one another. To serve one another. And I'm so excited. I'm going to brag on, you know, Adam and Laura, they open up their home and every time we go in, it's neat and tidy. Now, I don't know, they may keep it that way all the time, but they open up their home and they invite us in. And when we get there, all the chairs are set up, the food's getting ready to be put on the table. 
It's great. Now, they're serving the rest. We don't come in and say, tip them. Is anybody starting to tip you guys yet? Okay. We're, we're We're not tipping them for a job well done. They're doing it out of service. Each week, a different family is is bringing the food for us to eat. They're not doing it so that we'll brag on them or or give them a tip. They're doing it to serve. And certainly, as your group stays together, and I hope that many of your groups will be able to stay together after our 40 days of community emphasis, you'll find more and more ways that you can come alongside and serve one another. A second way is this, to listen to one another. Now, I know that you probably know more than anybody else in your group. But sometimes it does you good to hush and listen. To allow God to speak through someone else or to allow them to share something that that they're struggling with in their lives. Part of being a group, part of serving one another, part of being selfless is to listen. And not always be ready to chime in with your answer. Not always be thinking ahead, but what am I going to say after they say that? But to really listen. Um, guys, this would also help in your marriage. It's a little bit of free marriage advice. It goes right along with it. And if I would utilize this sometimes, I would be out of trouble a lot more often. Okay. Number three, pray for one another. Pray for one another. I made a commitment in my group to pray for everyone in my group every day. And as we come together or as emails come, then we find out what the needs are. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, This weekend, Jermaine Copeland, who's in our group, Jermaine and Everett, Jermaine is at a conference doing some teaching this week down in Florida. Now, I don't know whether we should pray that we'd be down in Florida with her, but she has some computer issues and some things that had in your life. Here's what she did. She sent me an email that I posted on our uh, group's website that, with a prayer request. that said, hey, guys, pray for me because these are the things that I'll be struggling with this weekend. We pray for one another. It's a way of being selfless. And then finally, by modeling the attitude of Jesus as we serve others together. Many of your groups have already started this. Other groups will get on board with this, but model the attitude of Jesus by serving others in the community. That shows selflessness, and it is driven by a heart of compassion that Jesus places in us. All right, monkey ranch number two, uh, pride. Pride also destroys relationships. In Proverbs 13, 10, we read this, pride only breeds quarrels. Cross-stitch this up and put it in your house. Put it on the desk at your office. Pride only breeds quarrels. The next time you find yourself in an argument, if you're able to disassociate yourself for a moment and think, you'll probably find that either you or the other person or both, pride is the root issue. Another bit of Solomon's advice is this. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, I like the way the message translation puts it. Pretty straightforward and simple. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. 
In other words, if we are going to be prideful people, we're not only have trouble in our relationships, we're also setting ourselves up for a fall. So how do you know if you're a prideful person? How do you know if pride's getting the best of you? Well, (laughs) I'm going to give you a list of questions, but here's a simple way. Ask the people who know you best. Okay, ask them who know you best, and they'll probably tell you. But if you're scared to do that, here's some questions that you can ask. I don't think they're in your, your handout. You may want to write them in the margins. First of all, uh, do you tend to be critical or judgmental of others? Do you tend to be critical or judgmental of others? If, if so, maybe pride's at the root of that. Secondly, do you tend to compare yourself with others to make yourself look good? Not to put yourself down, but to, 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 to make yourself kind of exalt yourself in the eyes of others. Uh, third, do you tend to be stubborn? <laughs> do you tend to be stubborn? Really hard-headed. Uh, fourth, do you tend to have trouble apologizing? Trouble saying, I'm sorry, it was my fault. Fifth, do you, do you truly care about the concerns and problems of others? This one really struck home with me because I, I, I tend to think that, that God has given me a compassionate heart but there are lots of times in my lives, my life, where you know I'm seeing the troubles and the, the hardships of others, and I, I don't want to let it in. Because if I let it in, I'll be responsible for praying for it and perhaps even responding to it. Do you care about others? And then finally, do you always have to top another person's story? Aren't those kind of people aggravating? You come share, oh, let me just tell you, my little Johnny, he's only seven years old and he just started walking. I, I, I don't know what you're saying about your kids, your grandkids, but they're in there, isn't there always that person who's got to top that story? Well, you think that's something. And, yeah, but if that's you, maybe you're being driven by pride. Maybe that monkey wrench has lodged itself in your heart some way. And the problem is that pride is deceptive. It's like the funhouse mirrors, except it's no fun. It distorts the image of reality. In the instance of pride, it makes us think we're bigger than we actually are. The Bible says that pride puffs up. And that's exactly what it does. But when it does, it destroys relationships and sets us up for a fall. So what is God's answer to pride? God's answer to pride is humility. Humility builds up relationships. Pride destroys relationships. And here's what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Paul confirms that in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which is pride, but in humility consider others better than yourselves once again this is a supernatural work it is something that god does in you and through you it is not something you manufacture in and of yourself to have the attitude of jesus christ means you're allowing the holy spirit to govern and trump your natural tendencies we're less concerned about how we look in our own eyes or even in the eyes of others we're far more concerned with how we look in God's eyes. The Bible says that if we exalt ourselves, then we will be humbled. But if we will humble ourselves, then God himself will lift us up. Now let me ask you who would do a better job of lifting you up. You or God? 
Now, now how, does this, uh, uh, how does this look in your group? How, how does it work itself out? Well, we truly consider the needs of others and are willing to pay the price to meet those needs as we are led by the Spirit of God. We, we consider the needs of others in our group. It may be listening. It may be prayer. It may be intervention. Uh, who knows what it may be? We consider those needs, and we're willing, because we love them and are connected to them, to pay the price to come alongside them and be a bridge over troubled waters in their lives. All right, monkey wrench number three. This is the final monkey wrench, and that would be resentment. Resentment also destroys relationships. Listen to what Paul, I mean, uh, David wrote. He said, when my heart was grieved... And my spirit embittered, that is the resentment. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. One of the lessons that I learned early on in life, and I'm sure you learned it too, is that people will disappoint you. Even people you love and admire and respect and trust will disappoint you. They are, like you are, frail creatures of dust prone to wander, prone to fail, making mistakes. If you have people in your life, then you will be disillusioned and disappointed by them. You will get angry with them because of the way that they responded or failed to respond. You will be hurt by them. That's normal. What you do with it's important. Because remember, Satan's in this trying to take your normal, angry, hurt reaction and twist it into something sinister and destructive. And what he wants to turn it into is bitterness and resentment. Now God's word warns us, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It is your responsibility as you are led and empowered by the Spirit of God, it is your responsibility to make sure that no bitter root grows up among you to cause trouble and to bring destruction. Disappointment, disillusionment, anger are normal. But if we listen to the lies of the evil one, he will twist it into something hideous, a bitter root that will produce bitter fruit. Now, This happens in families. Sadly, I see a lot of it. (coughs) Anger that turns into bitterness, that turns into divorce. It happens. It also happens in the church. Someone does something says something, fails to do or say something, and it hurts us, it wounds us. And instead of approaching it and dealing with it, we get a shovel and we bury it somewhere in the deep recesses of our mind. But like the legend of zombies, it has a way of rising up, poking itself back into our consciousness. But all the time, it's rotting and festering, 
turning into something else. Something bitter. A bubbling cauldron of resentment. And we find ourselves thinking of it and becoming furious. Our blood pressure going through the roof. Wanting to get even. Wanting to make it right ourselves. This is resentment in this. What God wants to do in your life. That's what that Satan wants to do in your life. What God wants to prevent in your life. And it will mess up your family. And it can mess up the church. So what's God's answer to it? God's answer. This may be the hardest thing you've seen all day. Is forgiveness. God's answer is forgiveness. Here's the call of God. When you're angry and disappointed with others, this is what he says. Bear with each other, which means put up with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, if he'd have just left that last part out, I could have manipulated it around and twisted it and made it into something else. But to say, forgive as the Lord forgave you, kind of puts me back on the hook. This is not some half-hearted forgiveness. You know, like two kids are arguing. You bring them up and you say, Johnny, apologize to your sister. I'm sorry. Sally, accept the apology. I forgive you. Uh, That's not forgiveness. Of course, the other wasn't an apology either. But forgiveness is not half-hearted. Our forgiveness is to be modeled after God's forgiveness. Our forgiveness is to be modeled after God's forgiveness. And remember, God did not wait for us to clean ourselves up, to straighten up and fly right before He intervened in our lives to forgive. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you offer forgiveness... Does that mean it's going to be received? No. And sometimes it'll even be vehemently rejected. Or sometimes what's worse, it'll be utterly ignored. But you still have the choice and responsibility to set aside anger. To set aside resentment. To set aside bitterness. And choose to forgive, not based on the worth of that person. Not based on your own holiness. But based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who saved you when you didn't deserve it. That is the basis of our forgiveness. It has nothing to do with whether someone deserves it. It has everything to do with the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, how does this work itself out in your group? Well, hopefully, especially if you're in a new group, nothing's begin to, begun to sprout up. But if you're together long enough, people are going to disappoint you. You're going to have people that are constantly showing up late. You may already have some of that. You're going to have some people who uh, uh, talk way too much. You can't shut them up. You know, you, you, you've even hinted. You put a roll of duct tape beside them, but they didn't get the hint. They just keep talking and talking, kind of dominate the group. You have some people that give way too much information, uh, stuff that you really don't want to know or at least shouldn't be shared in a, in a group setting. Uh, there are people who are very dogmatic, judgmental. There are some who are very insensitive. You're going to find that. 
If you're going to be around people, you're going to find that that's going to happen even in a church small group setting. And you're going to have people who don't follow through. Who make commitments. I'll pray for you. I'll do this. And they're going to fail. You're also going to have some people um, that um, Rick Warren and, and I also call EGR. And that is extra grace required. Um, they just, they're just them. And it takes extra grace uh, to put up with them, to deal with them. Now, what do you do with this? Does this mean you never address issues, you just overlook them? Does it mean you never confront anybody who's, who's doing something that's disruptive or, or harmful? No, it doesn't mean that at all. You need to confront it in a loving and straightforward way. Maybe we, need to, maybe we need to stop and talk about what forgiveness isn't and what it is. Let's do that for just a minute. Let's, let's find out what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness is not making excuses for the person who hurt you. In my very first church, we have a lady who um, was very insensitive. And she would say things that would really hurt people. And when I tried to address it with others and, and say, hey, what do we need to do here? Oh, that's just the way she is. Really? And how long has she been this way? And nobody's done anything, said anything, approached her lovingly about it. By now, it's pretty well set in. What would have happened if early on someone had lovingly gone to her and said, hey, listen, I know you're just trying to help, but what you said really hurt me. And I just want to let you know, and I forgive you for it, and I'm not holding it against you, but you need to know that really hurt. Now, would it have worked? I don't know. But i got to tell you, it's better than letting somebody go on until they get set in their ways, becoming insensitive and ornery to everybody. Forgiveness is also not minimizing the hurt you feel. Oh, it was nothing. No, no, it was nothing. Marriages do this all the time. Husband hurts a wife, wife hurts a husband. Oh, don't worry about it. It was nothing. It was nothing. If it's something, it's something. If it hurts, it's something. Even if it's silly, if it hurts, it's something. Don't minimize it. Third, Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense itself. And unfortunately, we see this too. If they did something, they did it. Don't excuse it and just pretend like it didn't exist. That's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is, on the other hand, giving the pain to God. God, it hurt. God knows it hurt. We're not fooling God by making him think that we're holier or tougher than we are. Just go and say, God, it hurt. Help me with it. Second, uh, forgiveness is, is leaving vengeance to God. It's not your deal. Vengeance is mine, God says. Next, forgiveness is trusting God to give you grace and strength to face whatever it is you need to face. And He's faithful to do that. Forgiveness is looking for what God wants to do in you rather than what you want God to do to them. Now, if you want God to stricken them, go ahead and ask him. I'm serious. Have you ever read any of the Psalms of David? David's like, God, kill them all. Just wipe them out. Lop their heads off, spread their body parts all over. And God's sitting up there waiting for David to say, okay, just calm down. Get it out. Get it out. That's okay. Now let's deal with it. You can be honest with God. 
Just go ahead and tell him what you want. But also understand that it is not only what he is going to do in their lives, it's what he wants to do in your life. Don't waste the pain. Don't waste the mistake. Don't waste the, the offense. There's something that God can do in it and through it in your life. Now, as we kind of come to the end of this message, I want to issue a challenge to you. I know there's a lot that got dumped on you today, but I want to issue a challenge to you. And that challenge is real simple, to examine your heart. It's easy for us to hear this and think about somebody else's problem, but this morning, examine your heart. Jesus said this, How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying that we shouldn't address issues in other people's lives. What Jesus is saying is, listen, you need to at least see yours first. And let's deal with those. Then you can help the other person. Or then you may discover that it wasn't any big deal after all. First, deal with your own life. And so examine your own heart this morning. And I want to give you three questions. This is your homework for the week for you to go to God with these questions and ask Him being open to what God says to you. The first question is this. Am I selfish or selfless? God, tell me which one I am. Show me which one I am. Selfish or selfless? Second question. Am I filled with pride or filled with humility? What am I full of? Because whatever I'm full of is what's going to overflow. Is it pride or is it humility? And third question is this. Am I carrying resentment or have I been set free by forgiveness? Am I carrying resentment with me, which is a burden and a heavy one? Or am I freed by forgiveness that I don't have to be bound up in anger and bitterness? If you'll be honest and ask God those questions, He will be faithful and answer them for you. And then to begin to put you on a path where you can connect with Him more closely, be connected with others more closely, and you'll be ready to engage the world in the name of Jesus Christ.